You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Morning, Anthem Church. My name is Todd. We are uh, continuing our study through the book of Genesis. So if you want to open there, we'll be in chapter 15 this morning. Um, And if you've been tracking along with us, uh, Stan taught last week on Genesis 13 and 14. And coming into chapter 15, the last thing you'd expect to find Abraham doing is being worried. The last thing you'd expect him to be in a place is of fear and anxiety. In chapter 14, he led a small group of 318 men in his household and took out five kings. You think he'd be walking around like, I think I own this place. Like, what, what, if, if five kings can't take me down, I think I'm pretty secure. God's on my side. I have 318 men under my, under my house. Things are going well for me. Uh, on the way home from battle, he meets a man of God, a priest, Melchizedek, who blesses him. So godly men like me and put their, put their blessing on me. My house is large and growing. I'm wealthy. Uh, somebody picks a fight with me. I take you out. I'm in a good spot. Why would, why would we find him worried? Well, what's there to worry about? Uh, but what, what we're going to discover and what we're going to learn today is that worry doesn't care how things are going. If you've got something on the radar, it doesn't matter how good things are going at work, how good things are going with your wife. If there's something you're worried about, it finds a way to just conveniently forget all the good things that are going on in your world. When you're worried, you don't see the good that's happening in your life. You look around and you don't see it. All you see is that thing that you're worried about. And so Abraham is going well. He's living his best life now. But he's got something in the future that he's worried about. And so it doesn't matter how good things are going. He's nervous. He has this thing, this open tab in the back of his head. Is that any of you this morning? Things may be going well, but there's this thing that you're worried about. You're worried about how it's all going to turn out. You're not sure how things are going to play out. And it's, it, it's, it's always there. Even if things are going well, in other ways, you, you forget that because it's always in your back of your head somewhere. That's where we find Abraham this morning. And the good news for us this morning is if you know how to worry, you know how to believe. If you know how to worry, you know how to believe because worry is faith. Worry is faith that the future is bad and I just know it and there's nothing you can do to shake me off of it. My worry is faith. It's faith in a future that is bad. And nothing happening around me can shake me from it, from believing that whatever is going to happen, it's going to be bad, and I'm worried about it. So if you know how to do that, if that's you this morning, you're worried about the future, you know how to have faith in God. You know how to believe, because you could do the exact same thing in a different direction. Instead of being unshakably worried about a future that you just know is going to be bad, you just know it's going to turn out badly for you. You know and you're dreading it. You could take that same thing and direct it at God and say, I just know he's true. I just know it. Despite everything I see around me that would say to the contrary, I know it. So if you know how to worry, you know how to believe. So it's good news that if you find yourself fixated on something, you can just change the object that you're fixated on instead of worrying about that future date that's haunting you. Fix it on God who is consistent and secure. Put your hope in God and trust in him. Instead of trusting your predictions about the future, put your trust in God's promises about the future. God has promised things about the future for us, for his children. Believe that instead of what you're predicting. And that's good news. So look at uh, verse 1, chapter 15. 
So after these things, after all this good stuff's going on in Abraham's life, he's winning battles, he's being blessed by guys who love Jesus, who worship God and then are putting their blessing on him. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. And God knows what's going on in Abraham. Look what he says to him. Fear not, Abram. Fear not. I am your shield. Your reward, your reward shall be very great. Look, at God comes to Abraham where he is. He doesn't look for Abraham where he should be. Where should Abraham be? Confident, bold. He doesn't look for him over there because that's not where Abraham is. That's good news for you this morning. God's not looking for you where you should be. He's looking for you right where you are. He comes to you right where you are. And it's even better news. He says, fear not, Abram. I know you. I know your name. I know where you're at. I know what's going on. This isn't some generic platitude, like some greeting card you pick up in the aisle, where it's just like, oh, that sounds good. That sounds like something somebody would like to hear. You know, fear, let, just let go and let God. Just, it's some just generic platitude that's like, just feel good about it. Just, just feel better. No, he's like, fear not, Abram. I know your name. He knows your name this morning. He knows what's going on in your world. This isn't some generic overarching, like, well, just feel good. It's going to be fine. This is specific. This is you. I'm talking to you this morning. I'm talking to you, and God knows you, and he wants you to know, fear not. Fear not. I am. Look what he says. I am your shield. Your, your reward shall be very great. He doesn't just say, knock it off. Stop being worried, Abraham. What's there to worry about? Stop being afraid. Stop it. Why would you want to be afraid? That sounds hard. Don't do that anymore. That sounds horrible. You're worried all the time? Knock it off. You get advice from that from family maybe sometime. You're annoying them with your worry. They finally just hit the edge. And they're like, stop it. I can't take it anymore. Stop worrying. I don't know. I got nothing else for you. God doesn't do that. He doesn't say, knock it off. Why would you want to do that? That sounds bad. He says, he gives them a reason to believe. He says, I am your shield. I'm here. You, you think you won that battle with metal and leather? I am your shield. The reason you didn't die is because I am your shield, Abraham. That's why you're here right now. Not because you're strong and you have 318 men. It's because I am your shield. And I'm your reward. You know that guy, that the, the king wanted to give you all that money? And you're like, well, I don't want to take that because I don't want you to think he'll be rich. So I'd rather just live this way. And that's a great position for Abraham to have. I don't want to be made rich by the world. I want to be rich in God. And God says, you know what? Absolutely. You will be rich. I am your reward. And it's going to be great. Your reward will be great. The fact that you don't look for your reward from the world means that I have something so much bigger and better for you. I am here. I am with you. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 6. I have it up on the slide for you. It says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, he's there, and that he rewards those who seek him. There is no other way to please God other than faith. You must believe that he's really there and that he's actually worth it. That he's your reward. That's the thing. I want reward from him. So I can look at the kings of the world who are offering me everything and turn it down just like Abram. I don't need what you have. I don't need what the world is offering. I don't need all that. I don't need the likes. I don't need the status thing. I don't need the up-to-date sneakers. I don't need it. I don't need you to think I'm great. I don't need that. I'm free from that. I'm free from having to need you to want to like me. I don't need that. I have God, and I have his endorsement on me. I have him saying, you are my son. I will protect you. 
It's going to be awesome. And put my faith in that. Instead of worrying about a future that you don't know what's going to happen, put your faith in a God who is in his promises that says, it's going to be great. Follow me, and it's going to be great. The world that I'm going to give you, the reward is going to be better than what you could get here yourself. But worry walks by sight and not by faith. Worry walks by sight. Look what happens in verse 2 and 3. So God says this to Abram. But worry doesn't, doesn't die quickly. Look what Abraham says. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. So this is the heart of the matter, right? Now he's getting to it. This is what's really going on. For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Look at it. Worry walks by sight. He's like, hey, God, I have eyes in my head. Look around. You promised me I'm going to be the father of nations. I don't even have a kid. <laughs> like, I can see. I hear what you're saying. But can you see what I'm seeing here, God? It doesn't look like it's going to end well. Eliezer's a good dude. But he's just some guy who works in my house. And he's probably the best one I got, so he's probably going to inherit the whole thing because I got no kids. I don't see how this is going to work out. I hear what you're saying, but do you see what I'm seeing, God? You've had that conversation maybe with God? Like, I see the promises here, but do you see what I'm seeing? I'm looking around my life, and I don't see how it's going to work out. If you can see what I'm seeing, it doesn't look great, God. Have you been paying attention? Listen, worry is a false prophet. Worry says, I know exactly how it's going to end, and it's going to be horrible. It's bad. Doom, destruction, sorrow, grief, pain, difficulty, and it's all horrible, and you don't want it. And it says, I know for a fact it's going to be bad. Believe me. It, it's a false prophet. Worry says it, it claims to know the future. And it's all bad. So you should be worried right now because it's only getting worse. And that thing that you think is going to be bad is actually going to be just as bad as you think it is. And worry wants you to believe and to buy into it and to, and to believe its claims. It wants you to believe your own predictions about the future instead of God's promises about the future. Like, I can see what's going on here. I can do the math. Dit, 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 equals dit. I don't know what that is for you, but you know what the dit, dit, dits are. I don't know what the dit, dit, dits are in your world, but you know what it equals, too. And it's worry. It's anxiety. And it's out there in the future, and I don't want to go there. But I can do the math, God. I can see. And that's what worry wants you to do. It wants you to believe it instead of God's promises. Believe my predictions. Believe me. Follow me, follow, my, follow your worries into more and more anxiety and just freak out about everything and have those moments where you feel suffocated because I can't bear to think about it anymore. Look at Matthew 6, 34, what Jesus told anxious people who were tempted to worry about the world. What Jesus says in Matthew 6, 34, he says, do not be anxious about tomorrow. I have a slide for it. Um, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Worry is a false prophet. It can't fix tomorrow. All the worry you're doing today is not helping tomorrow be any easier. It's not doing anything about the future. All that worry that you think is being productive, it's like, well, if I can't, I have to worry about it. What else am I supposed to do? I can't do anything about it. It's tomorrow. And Jesus was like, yeah, you can't do anything about it. So why are you doing something about it? It, it will be there waiting for you tomorrow, no matter what you do today. It's waiting for you tomorrow. So what's the point of ruining today? 
That's all worry can do. Worry can't fix tomorrow. It can only ruin today. And it will gladly ruin it for you. Invite it into your world. Follow it as a prophet. Say, I believe in you, worry. And just watch it destroy today. It's happy to do so. Just let it do it. And look what he says. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. When you're worried, it is like telling God, you didn't give me enough to do today. I, I, I'm, I'm done with today's stuff. I, I'm going to start worrying about tomorrow's stuff. Like you're telling God, give me more stuff to worry about today because I'm, apparently I just blitzed through it by noon. I got the rest of the day to kill. You got anything else for me to worry about, God? Is that how you want to play this game? You want to tell God that he hasn't given you enough to worry about? You have to worry about tomorrow's stuff too just to get ahead of the game? Worry is a false prophet. It wants you to buy into it. It wants you to worry. It wants you to believe that what you're doing right now is somehow mitigating tomorrow, and it's not. Worry about today. If you want to worry about anything, worry about the thing in front of you. And the way you worry about it is just by doing it. Do the thing you need to do right now today. Let tomorrow be tomorrow. Let God have that. It'll be there waiting for you. And then it'll be the same message tomorrow. Because tomorrow will then be today. And whatever today is, just do the thing in front of you today. That's what scripture always comes back to. You read it if you read your Bible. Today, do not harden your hearts. Today, put your faith in the Lord. Today, today. Because all you can do is today. You can't do tomorrow. Stop trying. Just do today. Hasn't God given you enough to do today? Just do that. But look at God. He graciously answers Abram. Abram is worried. God says, makes this declaration, I'm with you. Fear not. And Abraham's like, yeah, but what about? But look at what God answers, verses 4 and 5. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. It's coming to again. God is relentlessly pursuing this guy he loves. Look what God says to him. This man shall not be your heir. Worry's wrong. Worry's a false prophet. It doesn't know the future. Eliezer is not going to inherit your household. It's wrong. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. God takes Abram outside and gives him a lesson and says, When you're worried, look up. When you're worried, look up. When you're worried, what you're tempted to do is what? You look around. You look around, and everything around you is what you look at. You look around here. You see the circumstances. You look over there. You look there. Or you look down at your feet, and you're like, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you're like, I don't know. And then everywhere I look, it's hard. That's hard. That's hard. That's hard. That's hard. Everything's hard. I look down. I don't know what to do. God says, when you're worried, look up. When you're worried, look up. Look up, and stop looking around. Look up, and look at the stars. Can you number them, Abram? Have you ever tried to number the stars? Because it doesn't help that they're moving in the sky. Like, you might not know that, but by the time you count, they've already, some of them have shifted over the horizon. You're like, ah, you keep, I can't count. It's like me trying to count my kids. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. Like, well, the, where's the other one go? I don't know. Like, it's like a moving target. I don't know. <laughs> but listen to what God's saying. Abraham, look up. Can you number the stars? You can't. I can. I haven't forgotten one of them. I know where they all are. Let that, let that comfort you, Abram. I have all of this under control. There's not a single star that I've forgotten about. I know where they all are. I know their names. I know what they're up to. You couldn't count them even if you wanted to. Breathe. Breathe, Abram. I got this. I have all of this. You can't even number them. I know where they all are, and I'm taking care of them. I'm giving them the flames to stay bright. 
I'm sustaining all of this. You can't even figure out how many there are. Abraham, put your faith in this. And listen, Abraham, this is not just about you. Look at the stars. That's how many people's lives are at stake in this thing. You don't think I'm going to come through for that many people? This isn't just about you. I am working in your life because there are so many lives at stake here. All the stars. You want to number them? Can you even? That's how many people's lives are at stake, and I got it all under control. So take a breath, Abram. This isn't just about you. All the things you're worried about are very, like, when you're worried, you turn in, and you live inside this world, and all you can see, it's boxed in, and it's tight, and all you can see is inside here. You can't get out of it. God takes Abraham outside, tells him to look up and get outside of yourself for one moment. This isn't about just you. Of course, I'm going to take care of you because there are millions and billions of people's faith lives and eternities at stake in this thing. Can you just trust me for one moment that if I said it's through you and your son that it's going to happen? Because the whole world is at stake here, not just your little world, the whole world, and I have it under control. And in that moment... Abram hears hears God. He looks up and he believes. Look at verse 6, an awesome verse. And he believed the Lord, and he, God, counted it to him as righteousness. In that moment, Abram looks up and says, Okay, you're God. I'm not. I believe you. Whatever you say, I believe. God, it's all about you. Whatever you say is going to happen, I believe it. I, I put my faith. And my hope in your promises, not my predictions about the future. I'm done with my predictions. I'm all about your promises. I'm going to look to that now. He stopped believing in his worries. He stopped following his worry around, letting it drive his life. And he said, I'm going to put my faith in God. And look what he says. He doesn't just believe in the Lord. Look, it says says he believed the Lord. Like he didn't just believe he's there. He believed the Lord. Like he believed the, the God. He believed him as a person. He believed him. Like, God, I believe you. Not just in you. I don't just believe you're out there somewhere doing something and God knows what. It's I believe you. I believe you. The God, the person, God, the, 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 the deity, the, the being. I believe you. Not just around you, in you, that you're there. I believe you. Whatever you say, I believe you. Wherever you go, I will go because you're God and I'm not. And doing that is what was counted as righteousness to him. Abraham didn't do anything. Do you see that? He didn't do anything. He believed God. And in that moment, God said, now you get it. And he gives him all of his righteousness in that moment. It's like, that's all it, that's it is. You believe me? I count that as righteousness. That's what it means to be a Christian. Father Abraham is that you believe me. Not just in me, not that I'm out there, not that I'm just doing some stuff, whatever, but you believe me personally. You put your personal trust and hope in me as a person. And whatever I'm doing is what your hope is in now. My promises, what I'm doing, not what Abraham's doing. And in that moment, that belief is what converts his heart and makes him belief, and he is given righteousness in that moment. And that's how it works for us today. Look at Isaiah 45, 22. Look what the prophet Isaiah says. Look what God says through him, rather. He says, look to me. Isaiah 45, 22. Look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. Look to me. 
Just look, look up, look at me, look to me. Stop looking at yourself, stop looking at your circumstances, stop doing the math, stop doing all the dot, 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 stop all of it. Look to me. And what? Be saved. Look to me and be saved because I am God. And there's no other place to look. There's no other place to find righteousness. There's no other place to find hope for the future. There's no other promises that matter. Worry doesn't know what it's talking about. I do, because I can control the future and make it happen. And if I say it will happen, it will. Look to me and be saved. This morning, you can look to God. And in that moment, be saved. You can know for a fact you're saved. You can look to him and have it counted to you as righteousness. Not looking to yourself, not looking to worry, not looking to, the, to how good you are at predicting the future. Look to God. And this morning, you can have it counted to you as righteousness. Because when we worry, we try and do as much as we can. Right? Worry is frantic. Worry is do, do, do. Because it's all up to you to fix tomorrow. And so you're worried, and so it produces a frenzy of activity. And just do, do, do. Belief, you look to God and say, done. It's a settled matter for me. It's a settled, like, you're God. It's settled for me. It's over. Game over for me. I'm with you, God. And whatever you say, I believe. So that should fix everything, right? No more worries. Abraham's just going to live the rest of his life in perfect faith. No more worries, right? You believe now. What, what, there, what could there be? He was worried at the beginning, but now he believes, right? Verses 7 and 8. And he, God, said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Listen, being a believer does not mean that you never have any more worries. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what scripture teaches. Just because you're a believer now and that your central orientation is that I look to you, it doesn't mean that you're not tempted to be worried. It doesn't fix everything. You still have worries. You still have anxieties. But now instead of just fixating on them, you take them to God. Being a Christian, being a believer doesn't mean that you can't worry. It means when you worry, you take them and you run them right up to God. It's like, I know what to do with this. When I'm worried, I know what to do with this now. Take it to God. It's my impulse. It's the first thing I do. I take it directly to him. I don't chase worry around. I I don't start doing the math again. When I feel that temptation to worry, I just take it directly to God. There was a, a man in the, in the Gospels that Jesus came across, and I have his famous line up on the screen from Mark 9, 24. He had a sick son, and he's running all over the place trying to get this kid healed. He's sick, and he doesn't know what's wrong with him, and he, nobody seems to be able to fix it. And so he takes, it to him, takes his son to Jesus and says, if you can do anything, can you please do something for my son? And Jesus says, if, if I can do something? You didn't drag your son hundreds of miles around the countryside because you didn't think I could do something about it. What do you mean if? All things are possible for those who believe. And look what he says. I believe. Help my unbelief. That's where where Abram's at. That's that's the Christian life is I believe. I look to you. Help Help me with my unbelief. There's parts of me that don't get it. There's parts of me that I have a hard time still getting on board with. Help my unbelief. Help me, God. See, see what he's doing? The father was worried. So what did he do with his worries? He took them to Jesus. It's, it's okay for you to be worried this morning. Take that worry directly to God and say, I believe you. That's why I'm here taking this to you. Help me with this part that I don't believe. And God 
is happy to help. He wants to help. Just ask him for help. Take your unbelief to him and ask for help. Jesus healed that boy. He helped that father with his unbelief. And look what God does for Abram. The same thing he helps him. Verses 9 through 11. He, God, said to him, I want to help your unbelief, Abram. Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. That's a very specific list of animals. <laughs> you kind of like ask some questions. <laughs> you can't just find a random goat. You'd be like, well, does anybody have a birth certificate on this thing? <laughs> and he brought him all these, cut them in half, laid each half over against each other. He did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Well, that's weird, right? <laughs> like, I want to help your unbelief. So why don't you go find some very specific animals, cut some of them, and then just sit around and ward off the vultures. Like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. <laughs> You're like, really? That's, that's how we're going to do this? Listen, this is, this is what the word is called cutting a covenant. Like when, you, when you, you make promises, the word for a covenant is when you make a covenant, you don't make a covenant, you cut a covenant. Because what they would do is they would take these animals and they would cut them in half and lay them on each side. And then two people who want to make promises to each other would walk side by side. They would, they would reiterate the promise and they would walk through these things and get to the end. And the, the covenant would be, may it be to us if we do not keep our word. It's very visual, very graphic. Like, may this happen to me. May I be ripped in half and sawn in half if I do not keep my word. This is me promising to you. And this is, the, this is the imagery of a wedding. You got your half of the family, her half of the family, and you walk down the center, and you say, I promise to love you in sickness and health, richer or poor, better or worse, until I die or the Lord returns. And if I do not keep my word, may I have to live with your side of the family for the rest of my life. <laughs> and all the shade they're going to throw at me for breaking my promises. It's just about as bad, it's just about as graphic as animals ripped in half. <laughs> but that, understand the weight of the promise. Like, you see, like, if you were doing that, if the wedding, instead of you having your mother-in-law over there, it was like a half a cow, <laughs> which for some of you may not be a stretch. <laughs> you're like, that's easy, I can do the math on that. But, like, imagine if you're walking and you're like, that's what you're saying in that moment. If I do not keep my word, may that happen to me. Like, I'm inviting that into my life if I don't keep my word. That's how... That's how I've thought it through. This isn't impulsive, and I'm doing this on purpose. And so God says, you want me to help your unbelief, Abraham? Let's have a covenant ceremony. Let's cut a covenant, you and me. There's, there's no more uh, significant way to, to ratify a promise than this. This is the most graphic, visual, important thing that a person can do to say, to say I mean it. Is this enough for you? Like, is this enough? Is this enough of a promise for me? And so they do that, and then, and then look at, uh, and then Abram gets tired from waiting, right? Like, like he's waiting around, he's like the vultures are coming. At some point, vultures don't just show up right away. Like they smell it and they show up. And so this has been a while. So he cuts it all up, and then he's sitting there, like, all right, God, when are we going to do this thing? You know, it's like sitting there, he's like, did I get stood up at the aisle? You know, I'm just like, whoop to do I got the ring here, I'm ready to get married, where's the other party? He's waiting for the covenant thing, and God takes a while. You guys ever notice that? Like God's always late to stuff? Have you noticed that in your life? Like, where's God? I thought he was supposed to be here by now. You ever had that feeling? Like, God's late. Why is he always late for stuff? Listen, God is always right on time. He's always right on time. You feel like he's late to stuff. It's because you think you know how the future's supposed to go. 
your predictions, you've done the math. It's, where are you? Like, did I not send out the save the date? <laughs> like, come on, where are you? You know the time. This is an important deal. Why are you late for this? God's never late. He's always right on time. And so Abraham gets tired from waiting. He doesn't get tired of waiting. When you get tired of waiting, you just stop waiting and you go do something else. But he's been waiting so long that he's tired. Are some of you guys in that place this morning? You're not sick of waiting. Like, you haven't decided to stop waiting. Like, oh, screw it. I'm done with it. I'm going to go do something else. But you've been waiting a long time for something, and it's exhausting. It's tired staying in the moment and, and continuing to wait. It wears you out. And so Abraham gets tired. Worry won't let you sleep. You guys notice that? Worry will keep you up all night. Belief lets you rest. Abraham is tired. He's been waiting. He believes God. So he goes to sleep. Look at verses 12 through 16. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. The kind of sleep that only people who trust in God can have. You're like, for eight hours a night, you take the wheel. I, I, I trust that you got this, God. I can sleep. You're God. I'm not. I can sleep. So he falls into a deep sleep. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain, know for certain, that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Listen, worry tells you that if you just knew the future, you'd be okay with it. If I just knew what was going to happen, I could relax today. If I just knew the future, I would be able to relax. Look what Abraham finds out about the future. Sometimes the future is hard, and you don't want to know that because it would not make today any easier knowing just how hard it's going to be. You think, if I just knew the future, I'd be fine, unless the future is that for 400 years your family is going to suffer in Egypt. For 400 years, Abram, it's going to be really hard. At the end of that dark tunnel, there is a very bright light. But it's going to be very hard. And 400 years doesn't exactly like Abraham's like, well, that doesn't really work for me. I don't think I'm going to be here 400 years from now. I thought I was supposed to see this land. It's like, yeah. But your faithfulness today means something for those generations of 400 people. What you do right now has impact. For 400 years, it's going to impact people, Abram. Worry is a false messiah. It promises you, worry, worry says, if you know the future, I will save you from it. If you just worry about it enough, I'll save you from the future. Maybe if you worry enough now, tomorrow won't be as hard as you think it's going to be. And worry wants to, to have you believe that and then put your faith in it. Put your faith in me. I'll save you from the future. Just worry, worry, worry. Do, do, do now. Keep worrying and I will save you from the future. But it can't and it won't because it is a false messiah. And when you worry, you suffer twice. You suffer today, and then you suffer through the thing that you knew was going to happen anyways. Like, worry doesn't save you from anything. It only adds to the suffering. Because now you're suffering through it now. And then, you, like Abraham finds out, you may just have to suffer through it later. Finding out the future doesn't protect you from it. God protects you from it. God protects us from the future, not our worries. And so Abraham knows right now that his faithfulness is not going to count for his lifetime in terms of land. So how hard would you work if you found that out? It's like, hey, uh, I do promise you that your family is going to inherit the world, but not in your lifetime. 
So, I mean, so you can probably just take it easy because you're not going to see it anyways. <laughs> like some of you would have that idea. You'd be like, I mean, I'm not even going to get the paycheck for this. I'm going to work all week, and then the paycheck's going to go to like my ancestors 400 years from now. That changes the way I feel about how hard I work this week. <laughs> and for some of you, that would be the case. You're like, well, if I'm not even going to see the benefit directly from this, why would I try so hard? But Abram now is put in the position of like my faith today means something for generations to come. And we need to see our lives that way. This isn't just about you. Your faith is not just about you. Other people's generations of people's lives are at stake. And your life today can mean something for generations. It doesn't have to be limited to this little corner of the world that you're trying so hard to hold on to and keep and worried that somebody's going to take it from you. You can let it go and put your faith in God and understand, like, I'm working for somebody else's paycheck, and that's okay with me. I'm going to work just as hard. I might even work harder because I want them to be blessed. Because this isn't just about me, like Luke preached a few weeks back. Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. It was meant to go out of him. And so today now he can work hard and have faith because it means something for generations to come. And God just doesn't put this on Abram. God leads by example. God doesn't just call Abram to do something really hard, like work hard for somebody else's paycheck. God leads by example. He's like, I'll go first. I'll work for your paycheck. I'll show you what this looks like. Look at verses 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. Where's Abram? You remember? He's asleep. Who walks through the covenant? Who walks through the halves of the dead bodies and says, I will do this? God, all by himself. God makes the promise. Abraham's asleep somewhere else. God walks through all by himself and says, I'm not even holding you to this, Abraham. This isn't about anything that you're going to do. You couldn't break this covenant if you wanted to. I promise, and I'm going to do it all by myself. Look to me and be saved. I do it all. Look to me and be saved. God passes through it all by himself. And look what it says in Hebrews 6.13 about this instance. It's referring back to this. Look what it says. It says, when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. Like, what's God supposed to do? Put his hand on a Bible? (laughs) I swear by this thing that I wrote (laughs) to keep my word. Like, what's God supposed to swear by? Like, I promised, like, on my mother's grave. He doesn't have one. (laughs) Like, what's God supposed to do? Like, he doesn't have a Bible or a mother's grave to swear on. What's a guy supposed to do? (laughs) So he walks through. He's like, the the verses say, because he had nothing greater to swear by, there's nothing that he could appeal to that would hold him accountable for anything. There's nothing higher than him. He's the final judge of everything. So since there was nothing, he himself walked through the whole thing. He said, if I don't keep my word, I'm not God. That's how serious this is. That's how secure this is. I have nothing greater I could swear by than myself. I am who I am, and this will happen because of exactly that. And if it doesn't happen, I'm not God. You can bank on this. Look at the last few verses, 18 through 21. So on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephraim, who apparently didn't get the ite part down, the Amorites, okay, we're back on track, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So all the ites, and then the Rephraim. (laughs) So listen to what God says. I made a covenant with you, Abram. All this is yours. All of it. This land, I'm giving all of it to you. All the the whole thing. And so God promises the world to those who believe in him. Those who put their trust in him will inherit the whole world. And you're like, well, what about all the ites? 
Are you just going to take their land from them? It's not theirs. God owns the land. His name is on the deed of all the world. And listen, here's where this gets really practical. If you do not put your hope in God, your whole world will be taken from you. You do not get to keep the part of the world that you lock down. There is no part of this world that is actually yours. And if you do not put your hope in God, you will have everything taken from you. All your awards, all your designations, all your achievements, all your money, all your children, everything, it'll all be taken from you. You don't get to keep any of it because it's not yours. It's like sand. You pick up a bunch of sand, and the tighter you hold on to it, the more it slips through your fingers. If you insist on holding on to this world and carving off a piece of it that you can call your own and just squeezing it as hard as you can because you're so worried that somebody's going to take it from you, the more you worry, the more you clench your fist, the less sand you can hold. But if you scoop up sand and say, God, I'm happy to even have this, open hands can hold lots of sand. Open hands can have sand poured into it, and they can keep it. And as much as poured into it, you can kind of keep. And what overflows, you can use others to bless with. If you put your hope in God, you will inherit the whole world. Not just the corner of it that he gives you, but the whole thing. But if you try and hold on to that little corner with all your might, you will lose all of it. And you will not be able to keep any of it. One last verse, Matthew 5, verse 5. Look what Jesus says. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. If you are meek, come humbly, look up. Say, I'm small, you're big. I'm unimportant, you're great. I messed stuff up, you're God, you're perfect. You will inherit the world. You will be counted as righteous and you will get the whole world, the whole thing, not just the corner that you've done well with, good faithful servant, the whole thing. But look what it says, you cannot inherit the world unless somebody dies. That's how you inherit things. The way you inherit something is that somebody who loves you dies. If you have somebody who loves you and they die, you may inherit something from them. How do we inherit the world? Somebody who loves us died. And that's why we have communion. That's why we respond to God's word through communion. Somebody who loved us died. Jesus came and lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died, so that we could be counted righteous and that we might inherit his world. It's his world, his kingdom, and he gives it to those gladly and freely to those who will put their trust in him, so much so that he came and died so that you might inherit his world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, the clarity and grace it provides. Thank you that worry is not the final say on things. Thank you that worry does not have to control us, that we can say no to our worries, that we can, that we can reject the prophecies that it makes. We don't have to believe in worry. We don't have to follow it. We don't have to give our heart to it. We can tell it it's wrong. We can say, worry, you don't know the future. Though you claim to know it, you don't. And you cannot save me, worry. I refuse to bow down before you today. I refuse to worry. I refuse to turn to, to that to save me. I look up, look to God who can save me. And, and Lord, as, we, as I come, as I come to this table and as I take the bread and I dip it in the cup, I recognize that I am inheriting your world. And I know how, just how much it cost you. You had to die so that I could inherit it. 
I don't try and hold on to the world anymore. God, protect us from trying to hold on to the world. Help us not to turn to that. Help us not to, to squeeze as hard as we can and lose all of it in the process. Help us to have open hands, open hearts that you might fill them with faith and hope and your promises. And may we put more faith in those than we do our worry. If we're worried this morning, we take a deep breath and say, if I know how to worry, I know how to believe. I just need to stop putting my faith in my worries and put my faith in God. God, thank you for this table that you set for us. May we come humbly, meekly, receiving what you provide, righteousness and the whole world. In your name we pray, amen.